Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am joined by activist, athlete and adaptive downhill skier Vasu Sojitra. When Vasu was just nine months old, he was diagnosed with septicemia, which resulted in the amputation of his right leg. Growing up in India and then the US, Vasu spent his teenage years with low confidence, often wishing he was somebody else, or in his words, a normal kid. In the fifth grade, he started skiing and with it, he found a sense of purpose and belonging. Gripped by the adrenaline, power and rush this avenue had given him, Vasu went from strength to strength and after graduating from a mechanical engineering degree at the University of Vermont, he set out to build a more diverse platform in the adaptive sports world. Vasu's 20s were incredibly formative, not only for his development as an athlete, but also in challenging the biases that come with being a disabled person of colour. His film Out on a Limb was picked up by several film festivals and inspired many to consider the setbacks in their own lives. It was a particularly defining moment as Vasu began to gain more traction and started building relationships with brands and networking. He went on to become the first adaptive athlete for the North Face, is a founding member of the Outdoor Future Initiative and the Inclusive Outdoors Project, and is also a disability access strategist for the Obana Group. Vasu's determination to provide a visible platform to elevate and celebrate others in marginalised communities is truly inspiring. He once said, diversity is all of us, inclusion is being invited to the party and equity is being asked to dance. Vasu, thank you so much for joining us today, all the way from the US. Welcome to 20 Not Something. Oh, nice. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, spending the time and chatting about my 20s which were definitely a rush let's just say <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm excited to get into it um I ask everyone the same first question uh which is when you were looking into your 20s decade can you remember what the one thing you wanted the most was um that is a great question I think um now that I look back definitely a sense of community and belonging uh, was the biggest and it still is uh, but I've definitely built that a little bit more so throughout the years so um, yeah early on in my 20s definitely a sense of community and belonging and um, was definitely seeking that out constantly because you said that you know you grew up sort of in between India and the US um, and I've read that you um maybe struggle to find like which community you were almost a part of, I guess, because they're quite disparate in that sense. So is that something that stemmed from, from there? Yeah, to a certain point. I mean, I'm kind of between multiple different communities where it's, um, you know, the U S which is, you know, very diverse in its demographic and then India as well. Um, Being Indian and my parents being Indian and me, them immigrating here in the eighties. So, you know, trying to balance out the values of both of those cultures, as well as, you know, having a disability where disability in both cultures is looked at through various different lenses. Um, so just trying to figure out the balance and the values that I bring, um, as a person of color and a person with a disability, um, to, you know, to such a 
different space, I guess, for me, you know, I've just, I was just trying to create something like that as well for myself to feel, again, that sense of belonging and sense of, um, I guess, worth more than anything in value as a, as just a person. Sure. Yeah. I guess that's what we all sort of look for, isn't it? We just want to be valued and understood, I guess. Um, a life-changing moment for you was in 2001 when you, that was when you started skiing, wasn't it? And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your first um, time skiing and why that was so profound for you. Yeah, definitely. So I was uh, 10 years old and I just stopped using a prosthetic leg more so full time just because of a traumatic experience that happened in a classroom and decided to go full-time crutches and I'm very much more mobile on just my crutches um, when it's when, when it involves any kind of physical activity um, so decided to do that uh, one of my my brother and myself's mutual friends um, we all wanted to go try skiing for the first time knowing that it was pretty expensive we didn't get the option to do it too often um and uh you know went to a small hill in connecticut and uh was part of ski lessons for for half the day um but really there wasn't too much support there when it came to how to support my disability in that sense i was mostly in the mainstream uh non-disabled uh, group so the instructor was having a hard time figuring out how to instruct my ability so I uh, decided to just get out of that and go skiing on my own with my brother and um, that's when I was you know constantly falling and learning how to ski and whatnot and uh, you know coincidentally another person with one leg uh, came and skied up to me and told me to keep going and then skied off and that was kind of just like this out of body moment almost it seems like I look back at it I'm like did that actually happen or not like Mm. so um that was pretty cool to see some sort of representation on the hill and uh from there I kind of did um my research started looking stuff up and just saw that there was a whole new world of adaptive sports and like Paralympics and all these things that were happening uh, which was definitely helping build that confidence. Mm. One thing I love about that is how confident you were um, to go out and and train on your own and like learn the skills to do it without being coached because I think now we live in a world which is so we're so ingrained in there being a certain way of doing the right thing you know this is the right way to ski this is the right way to grow a business this is the right way to pass an exam and like I guess for you your your superpower actually came from having faith in your own ability and, and your own skill set and developing that accordingly and I just think that's really interesting yeah definitely it was uh I mean I've always been that kind of stubborn person that wants to do stuff on my own to a certain point um I also have had my brother and parents to lean on heavily when I do need help and support um and my brother has always been there for me and uh, now he lives in Brooklyn but um yeah, a little bit farther but he's still always there for me and he was there for me when we decided to dip out of the ski school um group and do our own thing and that was that was you know very much a catalyst in making that decision to do it on our own um and that kind of i think perpetuated the same notion that like 
we don't have to conform to certain boxes or different ways of, you know, typical ways of doing certain things. It's just um, we can find our own unique way of going about a certain problem or finding a solution um, to that problem. Um, however, however, that best fits our ability and our understanding. So that was kind of my big MO throughout the entire thing. Mm. Was there a particular defining moment in your 20s where you began to realize that, you know, thinking outside the box, not conforming to, to the regular? Um, I don't think there was a specific moment. I mean, my entire life is pretty unorthodox and atypical, I'd say. Um, trying to figure out different ways of even just carrying food or water or mm. uh, my, you know, books or you name it. Um, just always trying to figure out different ways to adapt. So, um, and those adaptations are very unique to my ability, whereas some of those might not work for the same, someone with a similar disability. Um, and, you know, um, yeah, so that, that was like kind of the um, understanding throughout my entire life was, you know, I just have to figure out things uh, by trial and error and whatever works great. I'll stick to it. And if it doesn't, we'll go on, move on to the next thing, you know, uh, pick ourselves up or fall down nine times and pick ourselves up 10 kind of thing. Um, That's been my understanding throughout my entire life. Mm. And how do you go about dealing with um, the perceptions of others who might assume what you're capable of? Um, I tell them not to tell me how to live my life because I don't tell them how to live theirs. <laughs> nice. um, yeah, that's, that's the nice thing about uh, living in our world is, or at least in the U.S., is um, that the aspect of choice. I can choose whatever I want to do um, and I don't need other people to share their ways of doing it unless they have um, expertise or knowledge behind it. Um, based on you know their lived experience i'd love to listen to that but if it's just some random person on the street that doesn't know anything that is trying to tell me how to do something i'm pro- most likely gonna have a hard time listening to that mm. rightly so <laughs> yeah um back in april you did a really interesting post about disability and dating on your instagram and I just wanted to ask you about it because we talk about dating a lot on this podcast. Obviously, it's what a lot of people spend their 20s doing in and out of relationships and things like that. And I was just wondering, you know, from your perspective in terms of how you've approached relationships, like the difficulties you face when it comes to allowing yourself to be vulnerable with someone else or like how how did that sort of go? Yeah, it's, that, <laughs> that's quite the process for sure. It's definitely been hit or miss on that one, too. Um and a lot of it is based on the perception that most people view disability as this bad thing and has a lot of stigma around it. And of course that kind of um, uh, radiates towards my perception a little bit, but I've been able to break out of it. Um, but understanding that, you know, I'm a whole person no matter my disability or not. Um, and uh, understanding that that's what I bring to the table and uh, what I can change, I will. And what I can't, I don't have the control or power to, um, and just utilizing that, you know, perception to, um, create, create the relationships that I have, especially, you know, with my current girlfriend, um, we've been able to really talk about some of those more heavier topics of, uh, like body normativity for the most part, and just like what that brings to the table within a relationship and just kind of 
being really transparent and open about it with our communication style. Hmm. How'd you guys meet? Uh, we actually met through online dating. Oh, nice. An app um, or? Yeah, an app. Yep. Yeah, pretty. Standard. I feel like a lot of people have slowly, you know, so it that one's also hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some are definitely better than others. <laughs> Um, talk to me a little bit about your ventures and empowering others with disabilities, because I know that that's a lot of the work that you do. Is that always something that you wanted to do or is that an avenue that you sort of like moved into later on? Um, no. So I I was going to school for engineering and was hoping to become an engineer. Um, I loved Legos growing up. I love tinkering. I love making stuff. I love breaking stuff and putting it back together. Um, but then I kind of uh, had this moment of understanding around adaptive sports in college when I was um, volunteering for uh, Vermont Adaptive, and uh, that was a very that was a very um, trans- transformative moment in my life because that's where I started realizing that I could use those similar problem solving skills that I was you know using in engineering. Um, towards figuring out different ways people can adapt to something as simple as skiing um, or as, you know, as general as skiing. So, um, yeah, and throughout different various disabilities and, you know, each person is unique and different and needs different kinds of support and different kinds of equipment. So, you know, it kind of built a huge attraction for me to uh, move towards that and started learning a lot about the adaptive sports world um, through that process. And then moving out to Montana uh, started working at another adaptive sports organization here in Bozeman. And there I started moving up in the ranks as the assistant director and director. And through that process started really talking with a lot of the family and the caregivers and the participants that have disabilities and just learning about all of these disabilities that come through that door. Um, some I had to do various amount of research because they're so unique um, and just like understanding where people are coming from and learning a lot from a lot of those experiences to be able to start vocalizing some of the similar issues that we all as disabled folks face um, within a society that's not really built for us. So um, yeah, and started realizing that, you know, I have a platform to be able to vocalize that and there's not many people in the specifically the outdoor world and the ski world really doing that in the mainstream sense. So um, started really pushing for that. Seemed like it was getting a lot of validation as well. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a you know a snowball rolling down the hill kind of thing. Mm. And what do you think it is about you know outdoor sports in particular, which is so elevating for a person with a disability? Because that's a lot of the work you do as well, isn't it? In that sort of region. yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's the the concept that I try to bring to people is that uh, as long as we are human, we will always have disabilities as part of the equation. Just mm-hmm. like as long as we're human, there's going to be different types of gender and different body sizes and different shades of skin tone, different ethnicities, all these things that are part of our systems. Um, And uh, the idea is that because we're human, we also have evolved with the outdoor spaces. Uh, We have not evolved by sitting in boxes all the time, but we've evolved with the trees and birds and, you know, plants and everything around us. So um, 
based on that, you know, I always say that having access to the outdoors is a human right for everyone, uh, non-disabled or not. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of been my perception and being able to share that. Yeah, I love that. I, I wanted to pick up actually there on that quote that I mentioned in the introduction about um, the dynamic between what uh, inclusion means to you and what equality means to you in terms of being invited to the party and being asked to dance. And I just thought it was such a beautiful quote. And I'm curious as to whether, uh, well, maybe you could go into a bit more detail about what you mean by it, because I think, you know, we as a society maybe don't place enough emphasis understanding the difference between what it means to be inclusive inclusive, and what it means to be equal. Right. Yeah. And it's not even, you know, I wish we were at a space that we could all treat each other equally, but we just aren't because everyone is so different. Everyone needs different support, different kinds of communication style. Everyone's on a different ability spectrum. Um, so that's where the, you know, concept of equity comes in where, um, each person or each community um, would need a different kind of resource, yeah. or, you know, yeah. different amount of that resource or opportunity uh, to be able to be on the same equal playing field. So there's a really cool photo of, you know, four different people. Um, one's tall, one's shorter, one's a kid and one's in a wheelchair. Um, they're all given the same bike. And that's what equality is. But not all of them can use that same bike because someone in a wheelchair uh, might not be able to use their legs. The taller person might not fit on that bike. The shorter person can't touch the pedals and the kid can barely fit on the bike. So it's like, that's like this like idea of equality that everyone gets the same resource and we can be happy and hold hands and kumbaya and blah, blah, blah. But the idea is instead of that, um, the concept of equity is understanding what each person needs. So you know, in the case of the tall person, that taller person probably needs a bigger bike. In case of the smaller person, probably needs a smaller bike. The kid needs a kid bike. And then the, you know, person in the wheelchair uh, uses their hands to move uh, would need a hand cycle. So it's like the idea of like figuring out what each community needs based on um, conversations, building trust, all these things. So that's that's kind of the um, idea I try to share with people is that we are all so different and we all need to figure out um, what relation, like once we build these relationships, um, how can we start redistributing a lot of these opportunities and resources um, so we can all eventually be on this, you know, equal playing field. Mm. Um, but, that's a great yeah. analogy. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. What changes do you hope to see then in, in the adaptive sports world in, in the future? Um, ideally, and the Paralympics is actually doing a really good job at this. Um, and uh, Olympics, Paralympics are doing a pretty decent job at it where they're combining committees. Um, the idea for me is to start seeing more uh, disabled and adaptive athletes in the mainstream. Um, not just as disabled athletes, but as athletes in general, um, we are pushing our bodies the same as, you know, non-disabled athletes are pushing their bodies um, to the, you know, oh, maybe even some over their ability level, uh, depending. Um, but yeah, it's just that concept that, you know, adaptive athletes are athletes um, and we have to be represented as such through mainstream media. Mm. 
Um, so that's, that's the um, hope for it. And my hopes is to, of course, you know, the demographic of the U.S. is 20% disabled. I would like to see every space be 20% disabled. Mm. That's mm. my ideal view of <laughs> the U.S., um, whether that be yeah. the athlete teams, whether that be, you know, CFOs and CEOs of companies and other leadership, whether that be uh, folks on the sales floor or other, you know, middle management and um, essential workers. Um, that's my uh, ideal world um, mm. is to see disabled people be represented in that sense. Yeah, it's you're so right. It's providing that platform and being visible, isn't it? I mean, even, you know, that what you were saying about the first time that you skied and you saw, you know, the guy with one leg skiing and that for you was such a profound moment because you saw someone doing who was like you doing what you wanted to do. And so it almost makes it more viable that then you can go out and do that yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's, there's this, cause and a lot of the times in mainstream media, we just don't see a lot of that. We see a lot of heteronormativity and uh, body normativity and, you know, mostly men, white, like, so just changing it up and making sure that we're actually representing uh, the full demographic throughout all of our media and marketing and uh, leadership uh, will eventually, hopefully the idea is to reduce bias and reduce harm in our communities to a lot of these more underrepresented marginalized communities. Um, so, um, so, you know, leadership and providing that representation can help in that process. It's one piece of the pie representation when it comes to moving towards equality. Definitely. And just before we move on to the game, I just wanted to ask you, looking back over your decade, what would you say was the biggest high and the lowest low? And do they relate to each other at all? Or do you think they're separate incidents? Um, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's, I don't know, being human, I feel like uh, it's nice to have emotions that fluctuate. Um, we're not just like, you know, constantly positive or well, some people might be and constantly negative, but, you know, uh, the idea is to <laughs> be pretty in flux with our emotion. Um, I feel like this decade has definitely been a lot of that and it's been a lot of understanding who I am as a person, uh, being constantly called out about my problematic behavior. Um, and learning from it as much as I can through the resources that I have available. Um, so yeah, a lot of that has been definitely uncomfortable in this learning process. A lot of internal work to understand who I am and how I um, show up in spaces. Um, that's been a very uncomfortable thing to learn. But once I've you know gone through that and processed through that, I've definitely understood and learned how to, you know, show up for myself and others around me as well um, in the ways that they feel best fit. Um, but yeah, it's, that's kind of, yeah, the past like five years of me learning a lot of that has been definitely helpful. Um, another thing is I've been trying to throughout the past like decade as like a so-called athlete, I guess, um, trying to move away from like the, the quote-unquote normal version of what athlete, athletes do, which is mostly focused on their sport, but um, really trying to, you know, find my voice and utilize my voice to um, for the greater good and, you know, utilize my platform to be able to not just speak on the issues that I'm impacted by, but the communities that I'm connected to are impacted by as well. Um, so 
that's been a that's been a big learning process. Um, pretty pushing my uh, discomfort heavily in that as well, and of course being called out by a lot of folks in that as well, and you know just learning from it as much as possible. Mm. Well, keep doing what you're doing because yeah. And the quote that's always stuck with me that I read quote or saying or whatever is that I don't know everything, but together we know a lot. So, you know, um, understanding that I'm just a person and I'm going to make mistakes, but um, making sure that I'm not entitled to my opinions because my lived experience is much different than the next person's lived experience um, and what they've been taught and what opportunities that they've been given um, or not given. So uh, just learning that, you know, we all live different truths in our lives and be able to uh, find a middle ground of how can we um, share those truths so we can reduce the suffering in not just you know my life, but everyone else's life. So moving on to play Millennial Minesweeper now, this is just the quotes game we play at the end, um, which basically I read out uh, a few quotes that I've heard or seen and... Um, we basically pick them apart and you tell me whether you agree with them, what your thoughts on them are. Yeah, it's just a bit of fun. Cool. <laughs> um, so our first one um, is no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Do you, do you agree? Um, kind of. Like in the middle, I'm like, I don't want to feel make anyone feel inferior even with their consent. Um, so, but, uh, you know, it depends on where they're at in their lives. And, um, if they, if I want to feel inferior, I don't really understand why I would, I would, but, um, yeah, Yeah. I mean, for me, like in the disability world, the two things that are biggest and maybe it's the biggest in all of humanity is uh, consent and accountability is making sure we ask for permission before helping others. And then also uh, making sure we apologize if we do make a mistake. So um, yeah, I mean, like I'm all about consent in general and making sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's the right interesting. Question. Cause I think there, there are so many people in this day and age who complain that, Oh, it's so hard to say the right thing these days. You know, you can't, walk into a room and just say how you feel anymore you have to always think about the words that you're using etc and it's kind of bullshit because even if you do say the wrong thing you just put your hands up and say i'm sorry and learn and educate yourself you know right and it's a lot of built on like especially in the u.s and like you know some parts of the other world is there's a lot of entitlement based on our opinions and we don't want to be wrong um and it's really uncomfortable to be wrong so um being able to understand that, you know, other people are going through something much different than you are. Um, and building that empathy is incredibly helpful in building relationships and making sure we are saying the right thing or just thing or ethical thing when we walk into a room. Um, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, that makes me think of, I always say this as well in some of the podcasts is, um, I don't know where I saw this, but it was the evolution of the golden rule. Do you know what the golden rule is? No, it's, the it's uh, treat others how you want to be treated. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. we tell that to kids all the time. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. We've heard that. Um, but um, I forget who said it. It was, I believe, an activist out there, um, but I can't remember. Um, the evolution of the golden rule is treat others how they want to be treated. Mm. So um, 
that's kind of been my mo as well <laughs> this past that. decade yeah. And that's again based on that consent is like asking for support, asking for certain things and not overdoing it. Of course, like once we start really understanding people, we know when and where to show up. But once we're not, when we don't know people, we kind of jump right in. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, just treating how others want to be treated, mm. oh. how they want to be treated. Our second quote is. I strive for a future where the word normal is no longer able to be defined. Um, I do agree with that because normal is based on personal perspective. Mm. Um, do you think we need a normal? This is what no. intrigued me. No, you don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I agree. Yeah. I'm just, it was a. Yeah. yeah um, I also think, you know, our typical definition normal is just not okay as well because so many people have been suffering based on that normalcy so um yeah i think uh understanding what normal is for me is different than what is normal for you you know so um and for the next person you know that we meet and how can we make sure we again overlap those normals to make you know have all of our voices heard and all of all of our emotions be validated um, in a way that doesn't harm each other. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. And I also, it's, it's sad, but I struggle to imagine a world where normal doesn't exist, I guess. Do, mm-hmm. do you think it's possible to, for that to happen? Um. Yeah, I mean, people have been already talking about it, and normal doesn't really exist in the disability world, that's for sure. Uh, We all live normal lives. We all are able-bodied, technically. Um, You know, so, uh, yeah, it's it's just making sure that that idea kind of, you know, um, radiates into the other parts of the world to make sure that there is no normal... um, and the idea also is, you know, again, we talked about it a little bit, is just making sure that we represent all parts of our world in a very equal manner. Mm. And this all goes back to what you were saying is um, being different is what makes us normal. Exactly. Right? That is, yeah. yeah. Sure. So. Cool. Um, yeah. And then our final one, um, which I love this one because Gloria, Gloria Steinem said it, but it's um, dreaming is after all a form of planning. Planning? Mm. Um, yeah, I definitely I listen to my dreams. They definitely teach me a lot about who I am and where I am at emotionally and physically, spiritually, cognitively. Um, yeah, and it helps me build a landscape of my day-to-day life as well. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thank you so much, Basu, for coming on yeah. the podcast. It's been really lovely to chat and also so informative. Um, yeah no problem i love it thank you so much for having me if you enjoyed this episode then hit subscribe to be the first to get notified of new episodes dropping every wednesday a big shout out to our composer and producer pete half and a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening feel free to leave us a review on itunes or reach out on instagram at 20 not something it's lovely hearing your thoughts on the episode and who you guys are keen to hear from in future With that in mind, we'll be back next week with another brilliant guest, so stay tuned.